Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, we have another episode here. I know it's been a long time. I'm very busy finishing out my quarter this quarter um, at school, but uh, yeah, no excuses really. I've just been a little bit off my game lately, but uh, they're coming back here. The episodes are coming back, and they're coming back in full force. So today, we have a really cool episode with one Deanna Dowd. She, uh, I know her through a bunch of mutual friends. And I follow her on Instagram, and I saw her posting these crazy pictures where she dives with sharks kind of all over the world. And I thought to myself, what the heck is that? I have to interview this person. And I'm really glad that I did because it was a really good interview. We talk about all sorts of stuff. Diana does free diving. She is a dive master, a PADI certified dive master. And she spends a lot of time researching sharks um, and yeah, she's also an avid uh, practitioner of yoga. We talk about that a little bit. We talk about her free diving and scuba diving and um, a lot of other stuff. So if any of this sounds interesting to you, then check it out. Yeah. And do yourself a favor and go support some sort of you know, oceanic relief fund or you know, an organization that's going to make a difference in this world because it's really the unseen problem that we're facing is pollution, ocean acidification, all sorts of stuff that really, unless you study it, unless you really look into it, you're not going to notice it. But um, these are big problems we have to solve. And so we'll talk about that too. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into it. Peace and love, guys. Hope you enjoy. And one more thing before we get into it here, just a few announcements. If you're listening to this and you want to support the podcast and help it grow, please download the episode, like it. If you can, try and listen to the end or maybe just skip to the end and do a little bit of listening. Um, share it with your friends. Follow me on Spotify. You can follow me on Buzzsprout as well. Um, really sharing it with your friends and just honestly giving me some feedback. Um, I really appreciate it. I love all of you guys listening to this and I appreciate you. I really do mean that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be soon on a podcast. I know I've been saying this, but it's coming. Um, it's just a little bit of a harder process and I've been taking a little bit of time off here. So yeah, this winter quarter is going to be a doozy. Let's get into it. Also, if anybody likes to, um, you know, either edit or create original music, I'm looking for someone to help me edit. It's not too hard. It does not take very long or maybe make an intro or outro song, um, you know, that's original to this podcast. I'm really open to anything, so if that sounds interesting to you, hit me up. You know where to find me, Talking Brains Podcast on Instagram. Peace and love, guys. Let's get it started. And we're on. What's up? Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Um, about ready to go home for the holidays. What about you? It's about that time. I don't know. It's my last semester in Miami, so I'm trying to stay as long as I can, but ready to see my family and kind of take a break from everything for a week. Yeah. So for people who might not know who you are, what you're doing, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah. All right. Well, my name is Deanna Dowd, and I'm a marine science and biology major, about to graduate in December, and I... I've been getting pretty involved in conservation the past three years. I went to UNC Chapel Hill my first year, and then I transferred. 
I grew up on the coast. I grew up surfing and snorkeling and then got into diving. So it's definitely always been a passion of mine and being here in Miami um, in the midst of so many conservation efforts and with diving in my backyard, I've really gotten to capitalize on that and make connections and be in the water as much as I can and learn a lot. So it's been awesome. Yeah. And sounds cool. I'm like super jealous. Um, I'm actually one step away from getting my, uh, whatever the first level of, I haven't done my open water dive yet, but. Okay. But that's, that's a step. Yeah. Done all the training and all the stuff. Oh, okay. Good. Well, you got the fun part left then. It's a lot of classwork. Yeah. And small little tasks, but it'll still be worth it. Cause whenever you travel, you can take that with you and then advance if you want to. Absolutely. And you're a dive master, right? Yeah. I'm a DM. I got it oh, almost three years ago now. And I spent some time in Honduras where I got to like work there a little bit and it was awesome. But I've recently gotten into free diving too. So it's about like balancing when I want to do which one because they're completely different activities for sure. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about free diving. Well, free diving is it's definitely a challenge. Scuba diving, there's a lot you have to know about safety. Um, but once you feel really comfortable with that, you can just kind of enjoy it, go slow, look at the small details, focus on the reefs and, um, like benthic life and then everything around you just kind of take it in and free diving, um, quicker trip down. You only go down on one breath. So you breathe up on the surface and work as hard as you can to slow your heart rate down. So that would be, you know, breathing in for two seconds, holding for two seconds and then breathing out for 10, um, to kind of just get yourself calmed down. And then when you go down it, it's just a completely different feeling. You're not expelling too much energy, slow, powerful kicks. Um, And then once you get down there, it's just like you and your mind and however long you can push yourselves. It's pretty cool, definitely different, but we've only been doing it for two and a half years now. So I try and train when I can't dive um, just at home and work on breathing and yoga helps a lot with it for sure just working on diaphragm stretches and yeah the animal interactions are completely different when there's no bubbles because you're less foreign to them um so a lot of life and even big pelagic life like sharks you can tell that they're just a lot more comfortable around you because there's not any bubbles nothing um, too abstract for them so yeah things get closer you get better shots you feel more connected to the ocean it's just more natural yeah what's your like how long can you hold your breath for now like like four minutes but it depends it depends on how deep I'm going because obviously the deeper you go the more energy you expel and the faster you're gonna run out of oxygen so yeah I haven't timed myself in a while but I probably should be fun. I, I only go down to like, I think the max I've gotten is like a hundred feet or a little over a hundred. Um, but yeah, I don't Always know. Working on it. How, like, is that like, how long would it take for someone like me to get to a hundred feet? Uh, with like a slow steady kick. Yeah. Or like, like how long would it take me to be able to like kick and hold my breath that long to get to a hundred feet? Oh, uh, underwater probably like two minutes two and a half okay yeah so you could do it um but then if you just do a static breath hold which is no energy so like if you practice in the pool and it's just static then maybe you can go 
four minutes or three minutes. But then once you add like energy expulsion to that, it definitely changes a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Do you do any, like you said, it's mostly breathe in, breathe out for a long time. Do you do any like hyperventilation beforehand type stuff? No, I don't. And I heard that a lot before I started training. Um, but that's actually not an efficient way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. To well, so like prevent CO2 buildup for as long as possible. Okay. Um, but I still know people that do that, which is okay. It's just about what works for you and yeah. What slows your heart rate down the most. Yeah, I did. I've never done anything like free diving, but I did like the Wim Hof, like breathing technique. Yeah. You know what that is? How'd that work for you? It was wild. You, you like, you do it and it's like you hyperventilate and then you do the sort of, you know, short breaths in, long breaths out. Um, and I did it like laying down and stuff and then cold yeah. water. Um, but you go into like, it's crazy how much the breath can like put you on a trip. Like, yeah. Yeah. It puts you in a trance, like, and when I'm doing it in my room before I go to bed or like just trying to slow my heart rate down and work my breath hold, mm-hmm. sometimes I just want to fall asleep, which is the point. Cause when you're in the water and maybe the conditions are a bit turbid and you're trying to go pretty deep and some things are stressful, environmental factors and stuff. Um, you really need to work to get into that trance state because that's the whole point of the breathe up yeah. to use as little oxygen as possible once you're going down. So yeah, it's a pretty crazy feeling. Yeah, it's like almost like a flow state. Yeah, lots of similarities to yoga for sure. Yeah, if you could like bottle that up and like sell it. Yeah, people would buy that. We'd buy that for sure. Definitely. So you see that? You see like a lot of similarities between yoga? Yeah, I've I've been doing yoga for, I mean, as long as I can remember, excited gymnastics for 12 years. So Mm -hmm. it was just always a side thing that I did. And um, really calmed me down, got me out of my head when I was stressed or after a long day, something I could always work on and improving myself and that mind-body connection and um, breath hold and connecting your breath with movement. So it's it's just about connecting with yourself and kind of getting in a trance. And in both freediving and yoga, I can say those are the only two things that really bring me to that spot where it's just me and my breath and in my head and my thoughts. And it's really unique. So I definitely recommend it for anyone that's looking for a hobby, um, something they can do every day, every other day to just kind of take them away from the craziness of the world and job stress, school stress, whatever it may be. Yeah. Like I feel like meditation and like yoga and stuff like that always have this, like, or at least they used to have this like, Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like kind of hippie connotation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But there's like a, there's a reason why people do it. Like, yeah, for sure. And I feel like there's so many resources right now, especially with COVID when everyone was locked at home online, like online classes. I've seen um, several people I know just post online classes and my home studio put a ton of videos up. So it really is out there for people to learn. Right now is the best time. Absolutely. And like, I don't know if you, if you sort of get this, but you know how you, I sort of think of like the like medical, metaphysical nature, you know, being in these different states like how are you relating with the world around you and you said like there's less bubbles um and stuff when you're free diving but whenever I've like meditated in nature I get this like weird feeling of like a connection you know what I mean yeah like everything kind of like feels different um I mean do you think that's mostly just the lack of bubbles or the lack of equipment or do you think it's like part of me thinks there's something bigger there that you're like slowing yeah yeah slowing down your heart rate and then you're relying on that one breath and it's just like 
I'm down here at 100 feet and I took one breath. And you're almost more like the animals around you. Yeah, you can't breathe underwater, but you can exist and you can feel all those sensations. So I think there could be a little bit of that. I think it's an interesting point. I haven't thought about it much. Yeah. It's like interesting to me too. Like the, you know, sharks can sense electrical activity, right? And your heart and your brain are literally just like electrical signals. Yeah. When you're, I feel like outside of the equipment, they could probably sense your, you know, the serenity in like your brain and your heart. Yep. Heart rate. Yeah. Movement in the water. Yeah, definitely for sure. And people say to try and stay calm when you encounter like apex predators because they, I mean, they can sense it with their like ampullae Lorenzini and they also like fish have lateral lines, which is changes in water movement and stuff like that. So, I mean, the best thing is to stay calm because then you're more like one of them. You're not freaking out. You don't look, um, like one of their prey items and super vulnerable, panicky. So yeah. Yeah. So you do most of your work today. with sharks, right? Do I what? You do most of your work with sharks, right? Um, most of my internships and like involvement in research has been with sharks. I've done some stuff with coral ecology. Um, but yeah, no, I really, I really got interested in sharks from just surfing at an early age. And then obviously with the media portraying them negatively, I always wondered, I mean, I had a few shark interactions surfing where I'd see a fin or someone on the beach would scream and point. And it just got me thinking I've been, I've spent so many hours in the water and I've never had an adverse interaction and I've always felt safe. Um, so yeah, I, when I got into marine, more into marine science and started studying it, I was like, I want to study sharks because I know they're so well adapted to their environment. It's been hundreds of millions of years since they've been on this planet, yet there's so much that needs to be known still about them. And so many people demonize sharks. Um, and I know they can't be all that bad because for how many people are swimming and surfing every day, there's very little attacks. Um, but the media works it up to be this crazy thing. And it is always so tragic when it happens. But when we enter their environment, you just have to know that that's a risk you're willing to take. So yeah, it was just the the connotations around sharks and I think how they were misunderstood that got me onto them. So I started with my first internship in Fiji and I advanced my diving. So I, I think I went there as an advanced open water and then I got my rescue. And then from there, it was just tons of survey dives. And my first shark dive ever was 40 bull sharks, which was crazy because I'd seen reef sharks on... Um, dives over like coral reefs but I'd, I'd never seen a bull and then my first one there was a famous dive there but it was 40 bull sharks and there wasn't one moment where I freaked out like it was one of the most calming things which is crazy um but That's awesome. I was I was reading something and it's like sharks have such a bad rap like could you imagine I read like eight billion like instances of people going in the ocean every year mm-hmm. um, like could you imagine if there were that many people that close to like a grizzly bear or like a lion? How many yeah. people were like eaten, not just like bitten, but like eaten alive by these things? I know. It's crazy, especially with like a lot of coastal communities increasing and more development and more people in the water. I mean, it is a risk and you do see places that are seeing increased attacks. But in the scheme of things, it is pretty surprising that there isn't more the way that they're portrayed. But yeah, definitely need to be cautious whenever you're in the beach. Like I, I don't surf in low visibility conditions. 
Um, I try and avoid river runoff, anything close to the river mouth, because then you just have all that discharge and the water is pretty muddy. Yeah. Um, there's a few like other tips that you can follow when you're surfing. But yeah, it's just important to be conscious. Um, but yeah, after Fiji, I um, started doing like a little bit of volunteer tagging with Coastal Carolina and South Carolina. Um, so I got to like go, go on their cruises and help with tagging and we were catching bulls and lemons and sandbars. So that was cool for me to see them close up, um, but not in the water and Mm -hmm. see, understand the science aspect of that and learn more about their distribution and preferred habitats. And then next was Bimini Shark Lab, which I was really fortunate to intern with them. And it was lots of short-term and long-term studies and the same species, but also tiger sharks and bull sharks that we were tagging. So yeah, it was pretty interesting. I got out to see a ton of different species and lots of interactions in the water too. Yeah. When you're tagging these sharks, like what's it like? You, you bring them up on the boat, right? Or do you keep them in the water? Yeah. I mean, it definitely depends on the species. Um, like the bigger bulls and tigers and even the small lemons, you, you tie up to the side of the boat. So you secure their caudal fin, their tail fin. Mm-hmm. Um, with a rope and then if they're really big you'll put ropes under their peck fins where their armpit is um, and yeah just try and work them up as quick as possible to reduce stress but yeah some some can be brought up on the boat like some of the nurses can be brought up mm-hmm. um, and we brought the really really teeny like sandbar sharks on the boat in South Carolina so it really it's dependent on the species and the size but pretty cool mm-hmm. to get to work up a big shark. Yeah. You really don't get scared at all when, when you're doing that. Like, or even like you said, your first dive, you didn't get scared at all. Like there's no, you just didn't have that reaction. Is that like, what was like? Yeah. I always love seeing people on their first shark dive because it is scary. I mean, everything you've learned about sharks since you're a kid or seen on TV, it is scary. Like, why would I be diving with this apex predator? Because it is a risk and they are dangerous and very powerful animals. Um, but yeah, the reality of it is you're not their food source mm-hmm. and diving with them is pretty safe if you're agile and you're paying attention to their like behavior yeah. and social dynamics of the sharks. But yeah, no, I went down there and they're all swimming around us and there were some safety divers too with like just, you know, poles that they could poke the sharks if they came too close. But yeah, it wasn't scary. It was pretty peaceful actually. Do you wear like chain or anything or? You just... I didn't, I didn't, but this place that I went with has been running for so long and has a great track record and they know what they're doing. I mean, they're taking data while they're on the dives too. Like they're safety diving and taking down data about species IDs and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, and the longer you dive with sharks, the more comfortable you get. You always need to keep your head on a swivel and keep your eyes on the sharks, but definitely becomes more instinctual for sure. Yeah. Like when you're studying these things, you said like, even in like the Galapagos and stuff, you would see um, like signs of pollution and and things like that. Like what are the, some of the biggest threats that you see, you know, maybe anecdotally or through, you know, evidence like. Yeah. Happening today. Um, So obviously one of the big things that like you probably hear about affecting, especially reefs is, is climate change and, some of those other effects are difficult to measure um, how it's affecting, you know, prey density or fish stocks. There's a lot to be studied, but in terms of bleaching, I've definitely seen that. 
Um, I've seen that down in the Keys. I've seen it some in, in the Caribbean. And it's just hard to see really healthy reefs like in French Polynesia and then, you know, come dive in Florida and see what they should look like. And that just doesn't affect like the substrate and the coral. It affects what species are around, um, what fish are around, and just the overall community and ecosystem. So that's a big one. I think what has shocked me over the past few years is the pollution problem. And I know it's bad and I read about it and I've read studies on it. Um, but traveling to isolated places, like I studied abroad in the Galapagos for three months and seeing that pollution has even reached those places that you think of as so pristine and unaffected. It's, it's really sad. Like you can see sea lions playing with plastic water bottles and trying to eat them. Or um, I've seen bull sharks with, you know, like a plastic, whatever they have on Gatorades wrapped around one of their peck fins. And it's like, you see a big bull shark and then one of their fins is a stub because that material is so strong that their fins not splitting it. So it just can't grow. I've seen it around um, sharks torsos and you just think, how are they digesting food? Like, how long are they going to live like that without being able to grow there? Um, I've also seen it on turtles fins. So it's crazy. And it's, it's definitely an issue. And I think social media has helped expose it for sure. Um, but a lot of it's education still on developing countries, a lot of it's education. It's even here teaching proper waste disposal because the like highest percentage of waste is coming from land-based sources. It's 80% of marine pollution comes from the land originally. So waste management definitely like needs to be worked on and alternatives and reducing single use things, yeah. um, which is tough. And then I think another big threat to the ocean is like ghost, like ghost nets and abandoned fishing gear because there's so many fleets out there and a lot of times there's accidents and they can't recover those nets. They can't recover those lines and it ends up on animals, um, ends up like wrapped around their gills or on their fins and then restricting swimming. And eventually sometimes, and a lot of the time with marine mammals death, which is, it's really hard to see. Have you seen that? Have you come across like, abandoned? I've never come across anything dead in a net. Okay. But I've come across something struggling in a net, a turtle which it wasn't too hard to get them off, but it's just crazy to like see that and see them get stuck and think how often that's happening worldwide. But the ocean's just so huge that you don't see it a lot of time until they're already dead. Yeah. I feel like that's a big problem with like the ocean in general is like, um, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the average person doesn't see really any life in the ocean, even if they go yeah. to the just see a little bit and I think it's you know you can sort of think of the earth like a cell sort of there's like all these like essential components and like you know the you know a lot of the oxygen is produced in you know the ocean and all this stuff mm -hmm. and it seems like people could care less like because they think the ocean's like so huge it's gonna it's gonna last forever um but I was looking at some stats that were like this was like a few years ago like 90 percent of sharks uh, of the shark population has been like decimated um same thing with other big fish like tuners yeah. a lot of species of tuna are supposed to go extinct like could you imagine the numbers like when you if you went diving like 100 years ago like i know 
it's crazy to think about. And I hear stories from people um, even about, you know, 60 years ago and how different it was. But yeah, I think, I think it is hard because the ocean is so vast and people do think the resources never end, but also it makes it super hard to manage. So if you have MPAs or fishing regulations, um, who really has the resources to like, I don't know, survey all of the ocean and see what illegal activity is going on. It's so hard. And then, I don't know. I think that overfishing is a huge threat to the oceans too. I haven't seen it as much. Um, but the thing about overfishing, not only like fishing too many of a stock and not reporting your numbers is bycatch, which is, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's what happens when you catch non-target species. Yeah. Um, so maybe you're fishing for tuna and you're catching other big pelagics. You're catching sharks. Maybe you're catching um, some turtles on the line or any other species. And by the time you pull up the line, they're struggling um, or dead or may die later from catch stress. So it's just about asking yourself the question, how can we change fishing gear so we're not catching these untargeted species? It's a hard issue to adjust. But yeah, there's definitely some huge repercussions that can come out from overfishing in terms of apex predators and trophic cascading and what happens if if you do pick out all those top species how are the ecosystems gonna survive after that yeah like a keystone species like you would think like the logic would be like oh kill all the sharks and like that's sick like we'll have more fish for us to eat yeah uh, <laughs> but that's like not how it works at all like they control a lot of essential um you know other little tiny things that all fit together in like the puzzle. Yeah. Um, no, it's crazy. It's like if you, if one population decreases, their prey species is gonna increase. And then the fish that they prey are not gonna decrease. And maybe they eat the algae on the corals and then there's no one to do that. So then you have algae overgrowth and the corals can't do their job. So things are all connected. And it's definitely a hard thing to research because you can't really manipulate all those factors, but everything's connected and we can't do too much manipulation in terms of fish stocks because it's going to affect like the whole ecosystem. And I think a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, if you don't, if you don't really actively look into it, it's hard to, it's hard to see. Um, and then I sort of have a question because, you know, if you're trying to monitor, you know, land animals, you're like, how many cheetahs are there in the wild? It's pretty easy, right? You just, you can like go like sit out and like drive yeah. around them but with like sharks you have to tag them and they have to be like you know taggable you have to catch them and, and all this yeah. stuff so how do you how do you like organizations or you know research teams that study sharks how do they manage like to get a you know real uh sample of the data if they're if yeah I'm definitely no expert on like fisheries analysis, but it's a combination of data from a lot of sources. So um like commercial fishermen that catch species on long lines too, like those are going to be reported. Um, and then like tag sightings, those are going to be reported. We have marine researchers that will like, that all participate in surveys. And if they see a shark with a tag or something like that, they can contact the organization. If you catch one of those, you can also contact it. Like some tags will have numbers on it. Um, you say, Hey, I caught, I caught this shark. This is where it was. So they can kind of understand that a little better. But yeah, it definitely, definitely a hard thing to monitor and estimate, but the fisheries researchers do a great job.
that would be a good question for my sister because she's getting into that. Oh, nice. uh, but yeah, tagging, um, scientifically, there, there are some population estimates that go along with that, but a lot of it's to see where they go and understand um, more about their migration patterns and behavioral ecology and stuff like that, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. It's always big problems with like, I guess you, you have AI and data and stuff in the future is going to help a lot with that, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you think? All right. Sort of like silly question here. Maybe not. What's your favorite type of shark and why? Oh my gosh. I know this is such a hard question to answer. Um, I'd have to say favorite shark that I've dove with. <laughs> I'm tied between bull sharks and sand tigers because their personalities are so different. Um, sand tigers so you can find those off wrecks in North Carolina. And if you look up a picture of them, they have these gnarly, crazy long teeth and just gaping mouth. And it looks so, so menacing, but they're actually as docile almost as nurse sharks, which you've probably seen nurse sharks, you know, they're that like dark brown color, um, floppy fins, kind of goofy looking, can fit under ledges. Um, and then a sand tiger is, almost as scary looking as a great white yeah. but they swim very slow minor threat to humans um peaceful to interact with diving like i free dove down to a wreck and i initially see one and then out of the visibility i'll see like four more in a line like coming towards me and i mean it is exhilarating but it's i don't feel scared at all it's a crazy cool interaction yeah um, and then I would have to say favorite shark that I want to dive with, and it, it would be kind of tricky, is an epaulette shark. And epaulette. Okay, so they're they're pretty small and they're camouflage, but they can they're called the walking shark. Oh what? They can walk over reefs and like walk outside of the water. So if you look up a video, they use their pelvic and pectoral fins um, to climb from tide pool to tide pool in shallow coral reef communities so they can hunt on like crabs and fish that get stuck at at low tide so that's pretty cool they have some crazy adaptations to allow them to do that yeah you want to i might just share my screen here see how this goes you want to look at the this video yeah okay so this is a uh, the walking shark it's a david attenborough thing on bbc if you're listening to this and you want to find it um but i just found a video of it and it looks pretty crazy also, the um, sand tiger sharks look crazy gnarly and pretty derpy, yeah. too. Um, so if you want to look them up. Yeah, they're just, like, coming out at you. They get algae stuck on them and stuff. Goes out. Yeah. Of course, with so little water, it doesn't get as much oxygen as it requires normally. But it I love David Attenborough. By shutting off a part of the brain. And so reduce yeah it's a As giant the the tide exposes the topmost branches of the corals the shark remains in the little pools between them for as long as it can and then it sets off to try and find food shrimps crabs all right i thought that would be the the uh the yeah, shark wait. is it is it showing it like well sh there we go yeah there we go okay little walking guy there we go. That's crazy. So if you're listening to this, there's basically a shark walking on the land. And he's walking over coral. And David Attenborough is watching him. So they can, um, 
slow their heart rate down and also restrict oxygen flow to parts of their brain, which allow them to survive in really, really minimal oxygen conditions. So those tide pools, um, after sitting out in the sun for a certain amount of hours, there's, there's not going to be a lot of oxygen in there. So that's one of their big advantages for hunting crabs and small fish that get stuck in there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That was one of the crazy things I learned recently. I, don't, I was watching something, but I, I just assumed that things could survive in the tide pools all day, but apparently the oxygen runs out at some point. Yeah. Uh, and they got to do something about it. Um, it's crazy how evolution works over so many years. Yeah. Super crazy. I think one of the weirdest sharks is like the Greenland shark. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> they go so slow. They look so prehistoric too. Mm-hmm. And think they haven't changed in so many years. Yeah. There's like Greenland sharks who are around when the American revolution happened, like still swimming around. Yeah. That's so have, you, have you seen tasseled lobby gongs at all? No. I don't know if I texted you about them. They, they pretty much look like a mop, like what you would use to mop the floor off with almost with all these tassels and then crazy camouflage. So they hide, they hide on substrate or like on the bottom or in little caves and are completely disguised. And then when something's in front of their face, they just pop out of nowhere too. It's crazy. Tasseled wabagongs. Yeah. Is this type of shark? Mm-hmm. And they can um, like ventilate on the bottom so they don't have to be moving okay. to pump oxygen over their gills which is crazy yeah it almost looks like not like a flounder like a yeah almost like a flounder all flat in the bottom mm-hmm. but i don't know what's huh what no go ahead um do you have any other crazy stories or interesting things that have happened while you're diving hmm there's so many let me think if i can <laughs> um yeah, one time, well, this is, I mean, it is kind of sad, but I've been trying to like have whale encounters for a long time and have spent lots of time in the water, but I've only seen them from the boat. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, there's a whale in the bay when I was in the Galapagos. So my host family and I went out to go find it. Um, and like just a few minutes later from it swimming, it, it was beached on the rocks and it actually passed away. Um, yeah, cause of death unknown. It, it almost looked like it had a disease, um, because all its skin was spotted and almost starting to like just peel off. But yeah. And then a few hours later we went back and the sharks had gotten to it. And that was pretty crazy because I was around a dead whale carcass and all the sharks that it attracted. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a little scary because the viz was pretty bad. So I didn't stay in too long, didn't want to interact with their feeding habits and obviously kept my distance, but just being able to see that was pretty sick. Yeah, that's crazy. Like we actually have in here, we have a couple of whale bones from like my roommate lives uh, in like Halfin Bay, which is outside of San Francisco. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, They had like a ton of whales beach that year. Um, So they were, they didn't even have anywhere to put the carcasses. They were just bones and stuff lying everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever had an encounter with a dolphin? Dolphins are my favorite animal. Yeah, I have. I actually, I got to do a specialty course on them when I was in Honduras. So got to what? dive in. Like a lot of spotted dolphins and some bottlenose and um, try and like understand their different personality types, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty sick. And then we saw them a bunch from Galapagos from the boat. But yeah, there's so, Bimini too. Bimini, I saw like a few. Um, 
dolphins too but I don't know I feel like I should have had more with all the waters I or time hours I spent on the water like I always look for dolphins and hopefully I'll get another cool interaction soon with them yeah dolphins are sick like I've had the one interaction I've had in the water I was just swimming out we were in Florida in like Pensacola um not Pensacola and uh what's it called um sea isle if you know where that is okay and we were out in the water and like there was dolphins coming and I just kind of well I was just really like excited so I went under and started making noise I was like oh they'll talk back like for sure (laughs) um but they stayed around they like didn't they were going by and they stopped and like kind of swam around and stayed near me Um, yeah they can be so they can be super friendly like I've I've been in the water with them when they're feeding and it's Mm -hmm. crazy to watch their feeding habits and how zoned in they are, but then when they want to play, it's just a completely different personality. It's pretty yeah. cool. So cool. Like, if anyone ever asked me, like, what animal would you like to be? It's like obviously a dolphin. Like a dolphin. Dolphin, yeah. like you know, something that can fly. Like they're so smart too. Like, I would love to be a dolphin. It'd be so sick. They know how to play. Yeah. If you could be an animal, any animal, would you be? That's a good question. I mean, my go-to would be a shark, but they're facing so many threats right now. It's so yeah. it's like I don't know about that. I don't know. I'm not too sure. A dolphin's a good one. Yeah, dolphin's definitely good. Dolphin's definitely a good one. Yeah. Um, let's get back to the sort of uh, the yoga conversation. So. Um, yeah. I've been trying to meditate more. And when I say trying, I mean a little bit, you know, trying to form a habit. Um, yeah. Are you, you're pretty consistent with it. Yeah. So I try and set aside some time each day to like do, do my workout. And then when I want to wind down after studying, um, I'll flow and that could be for an hour. That could be for 30 minutes. It's just, it's the one thing that I do for myself every day. That's just for me. And just to connect with myself and, you know, not to work on my career, school, or anything like that. So it's, it's like my me time. And then I finish my flow with meditation, um, breathing exercise, diaphragm stretches. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's convenient that I like have my time for yoga every day or five days a week at least because meditation just comes right after that. And it's the perfect time. Yeah, you sort of prime yourself. Do you have any flows you recommend to someone who's like not very flexible or good at yoga at all? <laughs> um, well, like a lot of the flows I do have the basic poses in them. So if you were starting, you'd be doing those poses, maybe holding them from longer for longer and slowing down the transitions. But um, I just use my home studio. I use Y2 Yoga for when maybe I'm really tired and I don't want to make up my own flow. But a lot of the time I'm, I'm doing my own flow because, I don't know, it allows me to express my creativity and just yeah. get in my own zone, put on my own music, and, um, yeah, see what I can make up that day. Yeah, so you sort of just create them from scratch? Like yeah. You just, oh, what? But after, like, going to so many classes and obviously I know the poses and yeah. so I can just make up how I want to connect them, what sequence I want to do. But I would say if, if you – want to start doing yoga and just find some flows you could go on youtube initially but once you know the positions i really do recommend y2 yoga because they have a bunch of online videos and 
great music, enthusiastic instructors, and you can watch as you go. So if you if you forget stuff or need some guidance, there's gonna be someone on the screen. Yeah, I'm like, just anytime I see you like post a picture of yoga, I'm like, okay, she's doing like a one-handed like handstand, like <laughs> like looks like she's about to do a backflip. Like this is crazy stuff. Yeah, like, it, it took a while like to get there though. Like, I feel like that would be so tough. Do I do what? You like the hard poses? Like, I feel like yeah. part of the yoga for me when I do it is like, I mean, obviously it's hard, but I, I like like the relaxing aspect to it. Yeah, I I mean, it, mm, I'll try and break up my hard poses and challenging balance ones or one-handed ones with a uh, more relaxing pose, more of a stretch pose, depending on how I connect them. Um, yeah. But I really like doing standing sequences, which is all on one foot, um, holding your leg in different ways. And obviously my favorite's handstands. Yeah. <laughs> something That's I've great. carried out throughout um, gymnastics. And I don't know, it's a different mindset for me too, just being upside down. And I can focus on my breathing there too and be creative with my leg movement. So pretty cool. Well, props to you because like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do any of that. Yeah, no, you can't. You just need to start. I recommend for people um, transitioning from a headstand to a forearm stand and then using the wall for handstands because it's really about building that shoulder strength and core stability and connecting the two and trying to achieve that line that's going to make you be able to balance. Mm -hmm. um, so there's nothing wrong with using a wall and kicking up to a wall. Yeah. That's what I started doing with gymnastics, so – Gotta start somewhere. Feels a little like cheating, but yeah, I'll, I'll take it. No, 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 no. Okay, get someone to spot your legs then. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to learn more, but it takes, you actually have to do it in order to learn more. You, yeah, you have to set aside time. I mean, it, it is like a full-time full, full -time hobby if you're really trying to make progress in it. Like you can't just pick it up for a few days a month and then skip a month, you know? Because flexibility mm -hmm. you kind of got to stick with. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple of questions for you, maybe that I'm trying to start to ask everyone. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of them is a pretty hard question to answer, especially okay. you know, we're, we're pretty young. So it's kind of hard to figure this out, but you know, what do you think is like a life well lived? Like what are the things that you do that make you yeah. happy or like essential? Yeah. To your question. Um, I think that can mean different things for everyone. But for me, I I found a passion. I love it. It's not going to be like an easy path. I don't think job-wise, but just feeling like every day I can wake up, hopefully in the future, like knowing I'm making a difference, influencing people's actions and behavior to make this planet a better place, while also finding the time to connect with myself and my friends and family, like that is so important to me. And it's such a big part of my happiness is doing what I love, but also seeing the people I love and being able to spend time with them. So yeah, I don't know. I, if I don't have a purpose, I, I definitely feel pretty distant from everyone and just uninspired and lazy. So I've always been driven. Yeah. And that's a huge part of my happiness and self-confidence is knowing what I want to do and trying to strive for that every day. I think I totally agree with that. I think like it doesn't even have to be, you know, a purpose like, uh, you know, saving the ocean, which mm -hmm. is a good purpose. But yeah. 
under I think one of the things that we've lost, a lot of people have lost today is a a sense of self and not like like yeah. an ego, but you know, like before you were like there were traditions and things that you did and like you were responsible for this and that and you know, maybe it took away some of the choice, but I think there's a lot of value to that. So I, t- I totally agree with that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think like there is a lot of societal pressure to live your life a certain way. And that's great if you do live it that way and you're happy. But for a lot of people, it's finding out if that's not making them happy, what will? And then going for it. For me, something I've been like working on lately is like setting out a list of like who is like the ideal person that I want to be. And then like, not just like thinking about it, but like enacting like taking actions to like step towards that. Like, yeah. Being super proactive. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Yeah. I think it's like essential. Cause I think people really lose focus if they don't have that sort of greater goal, that greater mindset. Yeah. Just uh, going through the motions. Yeah, exactly. Um, is what, you know, sometimes it feels like that in college, you're just taking classes. Mm-hmm. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> but um, all right. So that's a good one. I had, I have some other questions that I've been trying to ask everybody. Um, that was the main one mainly kind of goes around that yeah that's a that's a good one that one makes you think for sure do you have any like oh I have a good question so you were talking about sort of conservation organizations and stuff um you should give like a shout out to like places people can look for information or to support a cause Um, yeah yeah um i would definitely say be on the lookout for for a new one that's coming up and just trying to connect people um from you know all ways of life any way you're connected with the ocean you could be a surfer you could be um an avid like avid beach walker you could be a scientist um or a diver but it's called ma oceans so it's a new platform that's being launched so in the next few months, it's going to be building. So that's, that's one just for the future. Um, Oceana is always a good one. They do a good job of, you know, getting, trying to influence policy reform. Um, Shark Stewards is a great organization as well. Um, I would say Project Q, it's Madison Stewart's organization. And she takes a really unique approach to conservation so it's shark conservation mostly but anything that's shark conservation is pretty much ecosystem wide in terms of sharks role but um she tries to take in the point of view and income source of the local fishermen and developing countries this is all they know is shark fishing so she answers the question how can i provide them an alternative source of income that's not you know killing however many sharks per day but um supporting like shark conservation and inspiring others to do so. So she's turned their livelihood into um, shark diving and ecosystem tours or surfing, stuff like that. So I think her organization's a great one. Um, Ocean Conservancy. I mean, there's a bunch, it's hard to pick one, but yeah, I think the biggest thing that everyone can do besides supporting organizations like that and just trying to spread the word is understanding that you can make a difference. And I see a lot of people get discouraged because we are facing a lot of environment issues right now. And it does seem like so much for one person to try and tackle or, or try and make an impact. But 
if everyone's collectively thinking like that, nothing's going to get done. So if you change one thing in your daily habit or weekly routine, even, and we have so many people doing that, it's going to make a difference. Um, even just trying to get my friends and family to think about that and, you know, not use plastic at the grocery store and get your own bags. That's just one example. Um, but cold showers or cold laundry and stuff like that, that's going to just make that small difference in your fossil fuel consumption. It can be enough if we all do it. So I don't think anything's too small. If you're actively trying to change your behavior to help the environment. Yeah. Shout out to cold showers. Uh, yeah, they're great for your skin too. Yeah. Save the environment, your skin and your brain. Um, they're really good for you. It, it, try it. I know no one wants to take a cold shower, but you should try it. It's yeah. You do it. Um, other than that, um, I don't know what. Uh, so you said like taking cold showers and you know using less plastic. Those are obvious things that you know people. Yeah. Um, um, what's, what's the biggest thing you think you've done personally? That's a big one. Um, I think that trying to inspire others is important, really important for me, because I love what I do and I know what I'm protecting because I've seen it. But people that haven't gotten those opportunities to dive or even snorkel um, and understand, you know, how much there is out there and why we're trying to save it is really important. So I think for me, just spreading the word and taking people out and teaching them about the ocean and then um, choosing sustainable seafood. So important. Mm -hmm. A lot of the seafood that is being sold is caught unsustainably. So maybe um, really long, long lines where there's a lot of bycatch or bottom trawling, which is going to destroy, um, reefs and, you know, substrate on the bottom. And then, you know, like using large nets, stuff like that, like the shrimp industry has gotten pretty bad and there's like countless dynamite fishing. There's a lot of destructive practices, but I think for people that like to eat seafood, which I mean, that's great. Like the majority of the world's protein is from the sea both domestic and wild. So I'm not mm -hmm. telling people to stop eating seafood, but just educate yourself um, a little bit on where it's coming from. So ask those questions. And if you don't ask those questions or feel comfortable talking to, you know, the waitress staff about it, there's apps that you can use and there's resources available now that can analyze different restaurants and different um, catching sources. Is this sustainable? How's it caught? Seafood Watch is a good app. Okay. they've gotten they've definitely expanded more um so just stuff like that I think a lot of the times it's hard but if you just make a conscious effort and make the effort to check the app when you're out and want to get seafood and if nothing comes out nothing comes up but at least you tried yeah and then I have like another question too sort of around that um what's your opinion on like uh fish farming because from an from an outsider point of view I'm like okay well you know, I've heard a lot of negative stuff about it. Maybe they get sick or and there's, you know, the ethical issues or whatever. But then part of me thinks, well, like, hey, well, they're at least they're not catching wild populations. I know. Yeah, there's definitely a controversy. I think that done right, it could be the future of, you know, where we get our protein. Um, the salmon industry has had some had some struggles with the aquaculture salmon escaping into where the wild cut are and then breeding and that just messes up the gene pool. Um, really affects the, the genotypes and the health of those salmon. But the other issue um, that could be addressed is just 
destruction, like habitat destruction to create these big areas where you are raising those fish. Mm -hmm. um, like shrimp farming has destroyed a lot of mangroves because um, it, it'll be right along the water's edge and you'll keep them in these big pins, but sacrificing one ecosystem for um, to increase a fish stock could definitely, you know, be, be changed. I do think there's some positive things about it, but some improvements could be made for sure. Yeah. I just think of like deep water, like if you could do it where there's very little, like if you could introduce artificial nutrients and stuff, maybe, maybe that's the Yeah. Question. There's so many confounding variables too with it. And how are you going to raise these? Like they would be raised in the wild. And it's, it's a hard thing to do for sure. Um, but I think there's a lot of good work being done in aquaculture right now and hopefully can only improve. Yeah. But like, like you said, a lot of it's about awareness. And I think, you know, that's what prompted me to get you on here is, you know, I was just on Instagram and I see pictures with sharks like all the time. I'm like, okay, like, what is she doing with this? Like, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's a good, it's good that you're spreading the word and stuff. And um, that's sort of like why I wanted to have you on here. Um, I want these, these things to be fun and like also educational. So yeah. um, I'm really glad like that you came on here. Well, I hope everyone learned something from it. Yeah. It's always fun to talk about it. Like I could talk for hours about what I do and why I do it. So I'm glad that you asked me to come on. And that'll do it. That's a wrap for this episode. But um, if you made it here, I love you guys. I love all of you, even if you didn't make it here and you can't hear this. Um, I hope everyone takes it easy. And I hope everyone treats their neighbors with peace and love and spreads the good vibes across the universe. That's what I'm trying to do here at Talking Brains, trying to give some edumacation, some entertainment, and spread positivity. So, um, yeah, everybody, I love you. Take it easy, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.